Now, there's a phrase that we use to torture foreigners. It's rødgrød med fløde. Slower. I want to try. Rødgrød. <laughs> rødgrød. That was not, that was terrible. <laughs> Welcome to Electric Enthusiasm, the podcast where we celebrate unironic enthusiasm. I know so little about this topic that I can't even come up with a themed intro. Katie Cobalt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Alexander Kjold, and I'm so happy that I finally came up with a topic that you know absolutely nothing about. Literally nothing. I feel like after the Dune one, where I knew a little bit too much, this is a nice balance mm -hmm. where I know I don't even—I've never heard this name before. Yes, and I'm pretty sure not even your parents could spoil this one because uh, <laughs> no, this one is this one is not very well known. It's a real deep cut here. The real deep cut. <laughs> We're going to the back albums. <laughs> Katie, tell us how it works. In each episode, one of us presents a topic that they love, but the other host knows actually zero, nothing, zilch, <laughs> nada about. And the original host tries their hardest to spread their enthusiasm to the other host and to you, the listener. Sometimes we have guests who are super excited about something we know nearly nothing about. And we also have the moment of meta where we get to nerd out about enthusiasm, talk about why it matters and how to live a more enthusiastic life. We think the world needs a little more enthusiasm, and you can share yours on our website at electricenthusiasm.com, Instagram at electricenthusiasm, and tell us what you're excited about these days. Or you can just pop us an email at hello at electricenthusiasm.com. Beautiful. We're getting good at that. Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> so today's topic is Pete Hine. And given that you know nothing about it, let's do a little multiple choice quiz yay so katie and listeners is pete hein a a pirate from the 1600s b a poet from the 1900s or c a contemporary designer focusing on eco-friendly home furnishings type your answer in comments down below bum, bum, yes bum, bum, bum. okay i'm gonna go for what i want it to be Mm -hmm. I would like to learn about A or C. Those are the ones that are intriguing me. Yeah. Uh, and I really want to talk about pirates because my mom's watching Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean nonstop for last week. And so I'm in a very piratey zone. So I go A. Is it a pirate? Kind of yes. Because the answer is Pete Hine is all of the above. It's A, B, and C. What? Yeah. Turns out Pete Hine is a very common name. That's cheating. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. The things you learn when you Google, right? But the Pete Hine that I am super enthusiastic about is the middle one, the 1900s poet. Yeah. Okay. But, but I learned something when I researched him. Yeah? Yeah. And I learned that he's actually a direct descendant of the pirate of answer A. That's so cool. So he's yes. a pirate descendant poet. I'm okay with that. I'll live with that. Yeah. And, and here's the cool thing, Pete Hine of answer A was a Dutch privateer. And a privateer is just a government-sanctioned pirate. Oh. What? Yeah. Wait, what? Hang on. Yes. He gets what's called a letter of mark from his government, which means, you know, go out and, and take a lot of other ships. You're allowed to. You can do it. We'll get most of the money, and you'll keep some of it. Oh, okay. But assumably, they can only attack other countries' ships. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah not, not their own. Not other, for instance, in this case, not other Dutch ships. But okay. Pete Hine was pretty awesome. He was the only pirate 
whoever managed to capture the Spanish treasure fleet. Once a year, the Spanish Empire would send a fleet, an armada of ships from the New World to the Old with all of the silver and gold and whatever they'd captured, right? And yeah. this would be guarded by warships. There was so much wealth aboard this fleet. Everybody wanted to capture it. And the only pirate who ever managed to do it was Pete Hine. See, now this guy sounds awesome. Yeah, right? That's such a good story. <laughs> he captured so much wealth, it almost destabilized the entire Spanish kingdom. Jesus. Yes. This dude sounds epic. How are you not more enthusiastic about him talk about him today? Because <laughs> I only found out about him two days ago when I was researching our Pete Hine. Uh, and I had no idea about this Pete Hine. He was a direct forefather of the Pete Hine that we're going to talk about. So cool. So he was great, but he's not the Pete Hine that we are going to talk about. The Pete Hine that we are going to talk about is a Dane, obviously. <laughs> You're really playing into your wheelhouse here. <laughs> I know, right? I know. He was born in 1905 in Copenhagen, so he's not only Danish, he is a Copenhagener. And he was, uh, I think the term is a smart cookie. <laughs> official term that you know yeah that's uh, the technical term uh, from psychology <laughs> smart cookie he was a certified genius he went on to have an amazing career as an artist designer mathematician philosopher scientist poet and humanitarian Ooh. yeah such a cool mind such a cool mind he studied at the university of copenhagen he wanted to study physics and philosophy, and they're like, no, you can't. You have to pick one or the other. And he said, why? I want both. So he never graduated. The way he put it was, I didn't flunk. University flunked. Fair, fair. Yep, yeah. He also studied art at the Royal Swedish Academy of the Arts. Wow. A really broad background, really mm. broad mind. And I think his thing, and this is a theme that's going to go through everything we talk about, is paradoxes and never wanting to settle for one or the other. Mm. He's a both-and kind of guy. Both-and kind of guy. It's, his entire mm. thing is whenever we have a contradiction, there is a way to do both. You don't have to choose between arts and science. That sounds so cool. In, in my head, I'm picturing him as the, like, why not both meme. Yeah, I, he was <laughs> the original why not both thing. And, and it's going to show up a lot in this. But the thing is, he is world famous in Denmark only. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, I've never heard his name before. I'm assuming his writing was mostly in Danish. Yeah, there's a Time Magazine article about him in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And they write that he was trapped within a minor language, Danish, which he characterizes as a throat disease. Maybe that's your mother tongue. That's your homeland. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So he's not wrong, though. Danish is a terrible, terrible language. I say that as a Dane, okay? It turns out uh, that Danish is one of the hardest languages to learn in the world. Not only for foreigners. It's actually hard to learn for Danes. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's not like English is a particularly kind language to new learners. True, but Danish turns out to be particularly tricky. They did a study recently. Danish and Norwegian are very similar languages, okay? 
But it turns out that at 15 months old, Danish kids on average know 30% fewer words than Norwegian kids. And it takes Danish kids on average two years longer to learn the past tense. Huh. Uh Uh-huh. You're making me really grateful I do not live in Denmark. (laughs) Yes, yes. Nobody nobody should have to learn Danish, not even Danes. Do you want to know why Danish is so hard to learn? Deeply. I love linguistic origins. I know you do. So there are three (laughs) reasons why. And the first one is the vowels. English has 15 vowel sounds. Mm -hmm. There are, what, six vowels, but they can be pronounced in different ways, right? Yeah. And you got the diphthongs where the vowels switch from one sound to the other. Like, ow, yeah. Yeah. Danish has 40 vowel sounds. Why? That seems like an unnecessary amount. And there's, there's, a whole, <laughs> there's a whole thing on how that developed. And we're going to link to a video that talks about why Danish is so weird, even yes. compared to the other Scandinavian languages. But Danish has 40 vowel sounds. Okay, so that's one of the highest vowel inventories, they call it, in the world. We have three extra letters in the alphabet. We tuck them on at the end. So after, you know, X, Y, Z, we also have A, U, and O. So three extra vowels. A is like an A and an E smashed together. Mm-hmm. U is an O with a slash across it, diagonal line across yep. it, yeah. And then O is an oh. A with a little circle over it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've seen all of those characters. I have been yes. to Denmark to your airport in Copenhagen. Yeah, you would, you would see those. <laughs> So we have those three extra vowels, and of course, each of those can be pronounced in, in different ways. Sometimes they can be pronounced in different ways in the same spelling. Let me give you an example. So <clears throat> you have the word day, and then the, uh, sorry, you have the word D. <clears throat> sorry. See, this is how confusing Danish is. You're getting it wrong when you're trying to explain it. <laughs> this is evidence, That's, y'all. <laughs> it's the throat disease coming out now. Yeah. <laughs> So a very short word in Danish is D-E-R, right? Uh-huh. So D, then the O with a slash across it, and then R. Yeah. If you pronounce it duh, it means door. Now, the exact same word, if you pronounce it duh, instead, now means dies. Same spelling, same three letters, can be pronounced duh or duh. And I'm assuming the only way to tell, and the only way to tell apart is context, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, mm. yes. Uh, so that's one reason we have more vowels. That's why Danish is not so hard to learn. Other reason is the consonants we do have, we very often turn them into vowels. You have 40. You have 40. <laughs> you guys, I know. you really do not require more vowel sounds. You're good. You're good. I know, right? I know. <laughs> and then, and then the third reason is that we uh, don't pronounce uh, a lot of the syllables on average, we don't pronounce about 25% of the syllables in a word. They just, they're just, they just disappear. Huh. So that, I yeah. think, so assumably then you have a very, it's like English is said to have a really poor spelling to pronunciation ratio because like mm-hmm. you can look at a word in English and have no idea how to pronounce it because it might yeah. be this particular vowel sound, that, whatever. I'm assuming Danish, equally similar. Like you can look at a word and be like, eh, eh. I could be pronouncing these syllables. I might not. Who knows? Not me. Yeah. The secret to, uh, to speaking Danish is uh, not pronouncing half the syllables, but knowing which half. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Mental note. Continue not to learn Danish. I'll, I'll, yes. I'll add that to my list of things to continue to do. 
<laughs> yes. In the show notes, I will include a clip of Norwegian comedians making merciless fun of the Danish language. <laughs> I really love talking about language. I think this is such a interesting topic. I mean, today thus far, we've talked about pirates and the Danish language a lot. And I do enjoy our detours. But can you tell me more about Pete's? <laughs> yes, let's get to Pete Hein. <laughs> Why don't we? <laughs> I want to talk about his two main contributions. And one of them is something called the super ellipse. In the 60s, he's asked by the city government of Stockholm mm -hmm. if he can help them design a roundabout. Because they have this square in the middle of the city that's a rectangle. And they want to put a roundabout in it. If you put a circular roundabout in it, you're wasting a lot of the space. You can't put an elliptical roundabout in there because the sort of the, the the pointy ends of the ellipse would create bad traffic flow. Yeah. So what shape could you put in there for a roundabout that would maximize traffic, be aesthetically pleasing, and also utilize the space as, as well as possible? And he comes up with the super ellipse, which is a cross between an ellipse and a rectangle. And if you Google superlips, we're going to include I have clips. I have Google yeah. superlips. It's a lot of tables. Yes. So that shape ended up being used for that roundabout in Stockholm. And then he designed the super ellipse table, which you will find in so many Danish homes and uh, workplaces. It is insane. It's a I've Danish design classic. Sorry, I've been to that uh, the, the super ellipse in Stockholm. I just sorry, Google image. I, 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 I sat there. I had food there. At that at that square or that yeah, yeah. I have fika. Sorry, that that was an exciting moment for me. There you go. And for those who don't know, what is fika? Oh, fika is the best goddamn thing on the planet. It's this idea that halfway through your day, you just stop, have a cup of coffee, and a cake. I'll send you a link to, to the show notes of the dumbest thing ever that I love. This is a video of these <laughs> two boys singing about fika and how great it is. Yeah, um, and it gets stuck in your head. Anyways, cool. I have yes. been to that place. I know I, I've experienced some of Peace Hines' work without knowing who he was. The super lips is a great shape. He used it for a lot of design like bowls, lamps, plates, tables, that kind of thing. It was also used for the Aztec Stadium in Mexico City, a huge football stadium. And again, you have a square football pitch. You want to put seats around it. So what's the perfect marriage of those two shapes? That's the super lips. Uh, so you see that in, in a lot of places, turns up in a lot of design. Oh, and by the way, uh, the super ellipse, again, should you pick an ellipse or should you pick a rectangle? Why, Why not, not both? both? Why not both, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a theme that runs through his entire life. I'm going to make a meme of this man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why not both? And he had the design skills, the, like the art skills to make it an aesthetically pleasing form. But he also had the math and science skills to actually define the super lips as a mathematical object and write mm -hmm. down the formula for it. So that was pretty freaking cool. Very cool. But that's not the main thing that I want to talk about that Pete Hein did. The most amazing thing that he did was that he wrote a lot of poems, little poems that he called Grooks. And we're going to read some of them. Katie, how are you on poetry? I'm meh on poetry, I'm going to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. It's not, it's not my, it's not what I reach for when I go for mm -hmm. reading. And saying that, like, if I come across a good poem, I love it. And I tend to like to memorize them. 
but uh, I very rarely uh, search out poetry. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be in English or Danish? Because it's going to be hilarious if it's in Danish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just guess which syllables to pronounce. <laughs> Do you want an example of how terrible Danish is? Yes. There's a phrase that we use to torture foreigners. We make all of them say it, and we enjoy it every single time. And it's rødkrød med fløde. Slower. I want to try. Rødkrød. <laughs> rødkrød. That was not, that was terrible. Where where is your tongue in your mouth? Yeah, that's this is a very good question. I don't even know. I I'm not sure I can explain it. But what? What? Oh, that's 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 very good. That's the color red, by the way. Yeah. Ah. And then you have what? Oh, very good. And then put those together. You have what? <laughs> This is going to be such a weird detour, but this is hilarious. I love this. Yeah, yeah. Mil uh, is the Danish word for with. Mil. 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 Sort of ends on a like a sound like a like the mil. Mil. But softer. Yeah, yeah. Mil. And then fløde. 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 Oh, that was perfect. That's actually it's. <laughs> it's a. Uh, by the way, it's a delicious dessert. Yeah, it's like a, a red berry compote that you serve cold, mm. made from like strawberries, rhubarbs, uh, raspberries, whatever you have. And then you serve it with cold cream on top. It's absolutely delicious. Mm, that sounds really good. Yeah, that phrase is so hard to pronounce, okay, that Danish soldiers used it as a phrase to recognize other Danes. So if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you find this person, yeah. you're like, that might be a foreign spy. Make them say yeah. and if they can say it perfectly, you know it's a Dane. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I know, right? I know. So yeah. You're you're doing very well. That's that's a lot better than most people do. I think on the basis that I've had to learn I'm I'm terrible at languages. I'm quite a good parrot. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. A parrot, not a pirate. Exactly. Okay. Well, oh, sorry. This might not make it into the podcast. Who knows? Uh, what am I reading? This adorable poem with the cute little picture. Try reading that. Problems worthy of attack prove their worth by fighting back. Very simple little rhyming couplet. I like it. Yeah. Right. And also, that's, I feel uh... like that is the type of poem somebody who has dealt with scientific problems and mechanical engineering would talk about. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of his poems, a lot of his grooks, as he called them, are like little life advice that are just really useful in day-to-day life. And one of them is this, problems worthy of attack prove their worth by fighting back. So if you're struggling with this thing, it might just be that this is actually a good problem and that's why it's fighting back. Yeah. So would he write in English? Like, was this originally written in English? He originally wrote them in Danish, but mm. then he also wrote a lot of them in English. He wrote in German, French, oh, wow. Spanish, and Esperanto. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So he is yeah. not a parrot. He is definitely a language boy. Cool. Because like sometimes like someone writes a poem in their language and then someone translates it. And then you have to give credit to the translation because translating poetry is really challenging. Yes, he wrote all of them. He basically rewrote them in English 
or mm. in whatever language because uh, it has it it becomes quite different. Yeah, you got to get that rhyme scheme. Yeah, he has a crook about that. I'm gonna read it. God. For many good writers, my heart has been bleeding when beginners would try to learn English by reading. <laughs> Forgive me, good readers, whom I may be slighting in my selfish attempt to learn English by writing. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Just below the cute little drawing, there's another crook. Try reading that one. Put in a place where it's easy to see. The cryptic admonishment, T T T. When you feel how depressingly slowly you climb, it's well to remember that things take time. Ooh, I like that. T T T. Things take time. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. I like it when the poetry has a bit of a call and response feeling to it. That's yep. nice. Hmm. Yeah. And then there's the little drawing of them looking yes. at a big TTT. For every poem that he wrote, he also made a cute little line drawing that illustrates yeah. what the poem is about. The the little image, it looks a little bit like Stonehenge. There's a large mm-hmm. uh, boulder across the top, three columns. And just behind it, you can see the sun set or the sunrise over a hill with two figures walking towards it. Um, and it's clearly up a hill. So it fits with the slowly you climb. Very cute. Yes, very cute. Try reading the next one. Losing one glove is certainly painful, but nothing compares to the pain of losing one, throwing away the other, and finding the first one again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, I know this pain, good sir. <laughs> yes. And just one more in this vein of life advice. Living is a thing you do, now or never, which do you? Ooh, that one's my favorite. That one's my favorite. Now or never, yes. which do you? Yes. Yeah. Now. Mm, I like that one a lot. That one is a direct translation from the one in Danish, which goes, Den som ikke lever nu, lever aldrig, hvad du? Basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's his, sort of his life advice type things. Then there are the yeah. little, just the little beautiful poetic observations. And we have two of those. Okay. There's a miniature springtime revealed to the eye that notices trifles that others pass by. In each hanging raindrop, a springtime lies curled in a minuscule upside down rain bubble world. Oh, I love that. Do you know what it reminds me of? Mm-hmm. I heard a really lovely comment about Studio Ghibli films where it's like you're taking the everyday, the normal, the 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 boring and you're romanticizing it and you're making your everyday life more beautiful and exciting through observation and through just paying attention to it and like looking at the little details of life. I mean, everybody has looked into a raindrop and seen this world upside down and tiny hiding inside of it. And I love this idea that he's observing these small little moments of life and creating art from them and and reminding us to romanticize the the normal, the ordinary. Um, Yes. I like, I like. Yes. I think it's a brilliant observation. That's very much what he did with these. Just one more. Okay. The cold plowed field seemed empty of any living thing, but overhead there hangs a lark suspended on a string. It fills the air with trilling trills, so palpable and plastic, absurdly bobbing up and down because the string's elastic. Till duty done and spring harbinged, 
it's whisked into the air and lowered into another place to spring it on them there. Hmm. That one's really sweet. That one's really lovely. It feels very playful. Just this observation, you have this lark hanging over a cold plowed field, right? Spring mm -hmm. is here. His poems remind me of two things. I think they remind me a little of haiku. Yeah, I can see that. It's like one thought that you put into words, mm -hmm. short little poems, right? Yeah. And then the other thing it reminds me of is some of the poetry of William Carlos Williams. Have you ever heard any of his poems? Nope, he could be another topic for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. You're going to hear one. How are we on Adam Driver? How do, we, how do we feel about him? Yeah, he's great. I don't know if you watched last week tonight. John Oliver outrageously sexually objectifies Adam Driver, and he's such a good sport about it. I appreciate that. I saw that clip. That was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is from a movie called Patterson by Jim Jarmusch, mm -hmm. uh, a movie where absolutely nothing happens. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's fantastic. Will you read me that one I love so much? This is just to say, coming up. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. Oh, I love that poem. Oh, it's a good one. It's so simple. It's so lovely. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think this poem, again, it's, it's just one simple thing. And it's one ordinary, perfectly mundane daily thing. Mm. There were these plums in the icebox. I ate them. I'm sorry but somehow elevated to the status of art. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of poetry is often seen as like high class art form that's quote unquote inaccessible. And I think poetry like this brings it back down. Cause that could have been a note that somebody wrote to their partner, to their friend, their flatmate and left it on the fridge. But if you just say this is valuable, this is worthy of our attention and time, this is worthy of consideration, then it becomes art, right? It's like the the found object movement of art where they take like toilet seats and they're like, this is now art because I've decided it is art, right? Yes. It's that exact yes. feeling of like anything can be poetry if you examine it and, and you take the consideration, the care to look at it for that, in that lens. Um, yeah, very yes. cool. And going back to the theme of this episode, is this a funny little observation or is this art? Why not both? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> These grooks might seem, you know, banal, simple, naive. There's actually a little more to it than that. In April 1940, Denmark was invaded by Nazi Germany and they mm -hmm. occupied the country for the next five years. When the Germans moved in, Piet Hein was chairman of the Danish Anti-Nazi Association, which was not a good position yeah, to be in. Yeah, no. No. He wanted to work against the, the German occupation. And a lot of the crooks that he wrote are from that period. They were printed in newspapers at the time. And a lot of them are actually hidden messages to other Danes. And he said the Germans were too dense to read them, but the Danes got the message. Okay, I want to hear some of these grooks now that have secret messaging. Also, why grooks? 
It's just a word he came up with for it. He ended up writing 10,000 of them. Oof, that's a lot. And he said later that if he'd known he'd write that many, he would have picked a better name. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you two which are very much in that vein. Secret messages. Secret Secret messages. messages. Yes. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. This is uh, the first one he wrote and the first one that was published in a Danish newspaper during German occupation. Taking fun as simply fun and earnestness in earnest shows how thoroughly you none of the two discernest. Huh? I am not good at riddles, (laughs) is what we have learned. (laughs) The Danish version of that one is a little clearer, but what he's saying here is that if you think that fun is just fun and earnestness is just earnest, then you haven't understood either of them very well. Mm. Excellent. So I I do not understand either of them very well. He's saying that fun is not just fun, seriousness mm-hmm. is not just serious. There again, why not both? Why not both? Yeah. The the little picture is really cute. It's like a it's like a giant cloud and someone's dancing mm-hmm. beneath it. That's very pretty. I like the little drawings. Yes. Yeah. More drawings. And it's like a yin yang thing. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You can see like it's a smiling face and a sad face united in one. Why not both? Why not both? Exactly. And that was the first one that got published. Basically, this is a code telling people if you read my Grooks and you think they're just for fun or just in earnest, you don't get it. They're both. Mm -hmm. So in this, he's kind of informing his readers how to read his poems. Exactly. Ah, okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm slow, but I got there eventually. (laughs) Audience, you can feel good that you're smarter than me. And then we have uh, his most famous grook. Try reading that one. Little cat, little cat, walking so alone. Tell me whose cat are you? I'm damned well my own. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Like whose side are you on? Who do you belong to? I belong to myself. I am my own. Yeah. Yeah. And if you take it as just fun, it's just a fun little rhyme and a fun play on, you know, cats and their independence. Mm -hmm. But see through the lens of Nazi occupation. It's suddenly, you know, I'm damn well my own. Is there a Danish version of this? Can you read the Danish one? Yeah, uh, it goes, Lille kat, lille kat, lille kat på vejen. Hvis er du, hvis er du, jeg skulle min egen. (laughs) It's nice to hear it in Danish. I like it in Danish. Both versions are awesome. Uh, I, I sometimes feel like the Danish versions are a little more linguistically playful. Because mm. uh, yeah. that was obviously his mother tongue. Different languages have different intonations, different like singing almost. It's very interesting to hear different versions of the same poem written by the same poet in different languages. Yes. We can even go back to some of the Grooks that we looked at previously. And, and again, when you see them through this, l- this lens of Nazi occupation put up in a place mm-hmm. where it's easy to see things take time, Nazi occupation takes time. Uh, yeah. Spring is coming. There's this lark singing, and spring will be sprung on us soon. Living is a thing you do now or never. Which do you? Yeah. All of these turn out to have hidden messages that that the Danes got during World War II, and that you know completely went over the head of the German occupiers. Mm-mm-mm-mm. 
Yeah, I imagine the German occupiers were more concerned about revolution and, and, and rebellion as opposed to poetry. They probably weren't too concerned. They probably didn't think to look at the poetry too closely. They thought it was just, you know, simple fun. Yes. After three years, they did catch on. Uh, they did catch on. <laughs> and, and Pete Hein had to flee the country. I, I love these little crooks so much. <laughs> they work on the surface level as these just little observations. They work as poetry. They rhyme so well. They, you know, they play with language. I think that's fantastic. But there's also a serious side to each of them. And there's one more that we're going to read. Again, simple little poem. But this one has an interesting story because during the Cuban Missile Crisis, in 1963, the world was on the brink of nuclear war, right? The Soviets put up nuclear missiles on Cuba. The U.S. was like, this is an act of aggression. We, we need to stop this any way we can. President Kennedy, JFK, is trying to decide how do we react to this. The White House received thousands of letters that quoted the following crook. The noble art of losing face may one day save the human race and turn into eternal merit what weaker minds would call disgrace. Yes, I can totally see why this was sent to the White House at that time period. It's not about losing face. It's about saving us, and it's okay to lose face in this particular regard. Yes, it's not a disgrace. It is your eternal merit. I like that. Yes. And again, is this a simple little observation or does it have something serious to say and why not? Mm. Both. <laughs> so the reason I'm so excited about these crooks is I, I think they're just phenomenal. And if you're not Danish, you probably had no idea that they existed. You probably never heard about Pete Hein. And here's what I find so fascinating. Every country, every language probably has a Pete Hein. Yeah. For sure. Somebody who's done amazing work that the rest of the world just never got to hear about for whatever reason. Can you imagine how much cool stuff is out there in other languages, in other countries, in other cultures that we just do not know about because we don't have access to that language? I think that's, that's a fascinating thought. I would like to think that we have a relatively broad audience. So listeners of the said podcast, if you have a P-Tine of your culture... Can you please tell us? Like, legit. Um, I would like to find more Pete Hines. Like you said, imagine how many people we're missing out on because we don't speak that particular language. How much art are we not appreciating because we don't speak that language? Yes, exactly. Um, and going back to our theme from the last episode, you know, everybody's flawed. Uh, nobody's perfect. Everybody's Let's hear problematic. It. How is he problematic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yawn, bring it. Let's ruin him. He was a bit of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He, he could be very charming and kind, but he could also flip on a plate and, and, and be mean and terrible to people. Uh, he married five women and divorced all of them. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think beyond that, I think the real tragedy of his life is that he was so fiercely independent. He wanted accolades and attention so much that he mm -hmm. was always working alone. He never found peers. He never worked with a group. He never collaborated with others. Mm. He always had to do things himself. That's sad. Yeah, that is a little sad because though he is undeniably great, he ended up being alone for his entire work life instead yeah. of being part of a group, instead of being part of a community. 
I think that's that's the tragedy of his life. So was his life a success given all that he created or was it a failure given how he lived? Yeah. Why not both? <laughs> Should have seen that coming. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of time we associate like genius, like people who are geniuses have to have some sort of tortured background. Like think about Vincent van Gogh and it's like, no, these people would have still created that art, still have been amazing. But had they had access to therapy and medication and empathy, they probably would have been able to create more work and more amazing stuff and more fabulous things because people who are suffering don't create beautiful things. Yes. That is such a trap to fall into, right? It's the suffering yeah. artist. They created that art because they were suffering. There's no way to know that. Probably not. Though. No. I'm pretty yeah. sure like – Alex, you're a pretty happy guy. And as far as I'm concerned, you create a lot of beautiful art in this world. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I try. <laughs> you don't have to suffer to create stuff. You Seek really help. don't. Talk to somebody. <clears throat> Reach out. It's yes. okay. <laughs> yes. The thing we can take away from Pete Hines' life is his refusal to accept the either-or dichotomies in life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Do I have to work in science or art? I can do both. Can I write funny little crooks or do I have to write serious poetry? I can do both. Can I be funny and serious? I can do both. Yeah. And that attitude, I think, is enormously inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I also like his observational poems, ones that you showed me, where he's looking at the, the little things in life and like elevating them and creating them into something more by just observing them and putting them into poetry. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at the world. That's a really lovely way to think about life. It's just like, well, I, I noticed that when I look at this little raindrop, the world's upside down in there. I can create a whole narrative about that. Let me just end this with, I think, one of his really cool observations. So he was asked, what is art? And he said, art is the solution to problems that can only be defined once they've been solved. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he saw a lot of science as art. He said that mm. Einstein's theory of relativity, he was actually, that's, I think, maybe another, um, uh, you know, bad thing about Pete Hind. He was actually friends with that dumb, dumb Albert Einstein. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Einstein and Game of Thrones. I was going to say, like, Einstein and Game of Thrones are like our two bash points. Like, we can always come back to just like rag on those guys. If we have nothing yeah. else to say, we can criticize them. No, uh, Einstein, a legit genius as well, um, and they became friends. And he actually saw the theory of relativity as a work of art. Mm. Because again, okay. it was so creative, it was so out there. It was, again, a solution to a problem that could only be defined once we had the solution. And I yes. thought that was, that was a beautiful observation. Yes. So that was the world-famous, in Denmark-only, genius, Pete Hein. <laughs> <laughs> Oxymoron of world famous, but only in Denmark is chef's kiss, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm going to stop talking about Pete Hein now. I know you need to talk a little bit more about Pete Hein because you need to tell me where a person can go to learn more about oh, Pete Hein. Of course, of course. <laughs> so you can buy books. His crooks have been collected in these cute little books. I have, a, I have a ton of them here. And you can obviously buy those online, but... You can also find a lot of his crooks online. I'm going to put a link to some of them in Danish and, of course, a lot of them in English to make it easy for people. 
I mean, if people want to have a go trying the Danish ones and trying to guess <laughs> which half of the syllables they should be pronouncing, that might be a fun game. <laughs> uh, those people are called masochists, I believe. <laughs> Linguistic masochists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nobody should learn Danish, not even Danes. I'm serious. Um, there is a 25-minute documentary about Pete Hine in English. Uh, I'm going to link to that as well. But but just be aware that this was made by people who uh, worked for Pete Hine. So not okay. very critical at all. But it does give you an insight into his life and some of his major accomplishments, including the Grooks and the Super Ellipse. All of that will be in the show notes. Dear listener, what did you think about Pete Hine? That's the poet, not the pirate. <laughs> Did you have a favorite group that we read out loud? Do you have another favorite group of his? Go to our website or Instagram at Electric Enthusiasm and tell us all about it. In today's moment of meta, I want to talk about closing feedback loops. So this is something I have noticed specifically in the dance world because, hi, I live there. But also I imagine it exists in other universes as well. I'm going to tell you a story. I was standing on the edge of the dance floor with a friend of mine. And he had just finished dancing with Judith. Judith is a fabulous dancer. And I hear this all the time about her. All of my leader friends tell me Judith is amazing to dance with. They'll come to me and tell me how fabulous it is to dance with her and how wonderful she is and how talented she is and how great she is. As as grateful as I am to hear it, because I love Judith (laughs) and I love hearing how fabulous she is. A part of me is like, you should go tell her. You should go tell Judith. Judith needs to hear this. I mean, I will pass on the message 100%. But also, isn't it so much more wonderful to hear it from the person who thinks it? And this is what I mean by closing feedback loops. I think particularly with friendships, because uh, I think in romantic partnerships, we're expected to like tell the person how great they are. On family dynamics, like maybe a little bit less so, but like with a parent to child, we're expected to tell the child how great they are. But I think specifically in friendships, it's often harder to feel like you can compliment them. It's harder to close that positive feedback loop. And it's easier sometimes to tell someone, like, for example, I would tell you, I think Patricia's hair is amazing. I wouldn't necessarily tell Patricia that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would like to take this moment of meta to encourage everyone to close those feedback loops and share your enthusiasm with those people in your life that maybe it's a little bit like, nerve-wracking to tell them how great you think they are. I would agree 100%. I think positive feedback is lacking from Mm -hmm. many people's lives. Um, There might be things we're good at. There might be skills we have. There might be things we do well. We just don't hear it from others. And when you do, that is phenomenal. When you hear it directly from somebody, I think that's great. But even being told, you know, we we were just talking about you. We think you're awesome. Um, (laughs) Here's what we really like about you. I think that's fantastic. You can, uh, you, can, you can make a little ceremony out of it. A few years ago, I, I made Patricia cry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. F- full context, this is his life partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I made her cry and it was awesome. <laughs> it was her birthday and I'd arranged a surprise birthday party. So, you know, 10, 12 of our closest friends came over for brunch. She had no idea. And I had told all of them to write her a letter with three things they really like about her. Oh, that's so lovely. Yes. So everybody came. We had a lovely brunch. They gave her presents. And then everybody gave her this letter. 
she she couldn't really read them while people were there because that got a little too intense. But she read them yeah. after, and she cried like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so happy about this. Yes, another way we did it once that I thought was pretty awesome is with my former coworker Arlette. We reached out to about fifty people who know her, and we asked them. Send us an email with just three words. How would you describe Arlette? So we got all these words back and we created a word cloud like you can do online, right? You have yeah. all of these words and the, the more times the word appears, the bigger the font is for that word. Yeah. Then we printed that on a huge canvas and we gave it to her and she cried like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're really here for the happy tears, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. So I think there are, there are a million little ways you can do this, uh, yeah. but I do think you have to do it consciously, and that's also what yeah. you're saying, right? Um, yeah. I think a lot of the time the negative spreads on its own. Yeah. Um, when when somebody pisses us off, or somebody annoys us, or you know somebody does something bad, those stories basically spread themselves. Yeah. Um, but the the good stuff, the positive qualities we see in others. I think we have to make a conscious effort to share those yeah. with the person directly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really easy to internalize the negative. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to internalize the positive. And mm -hmm. something that helps internalize positive is if you hear it directly from that person or if it's somebody coming up to you to say how amazing you are and they have no agenda all of the stories that you've just mentioned you didn't have like i i'm gonna do this because i want patricia to make me pancakes like you <laughs> did it because you just wanted her to know and i think it's one of those cases where if you don't have an agenda i just want somebody to know they're amazing because of x y and z mm -hmm. that's a much easier message for them to then internalize the reason we're talking about this today is because I got a message from a very good friend of mine, Liam Craddock, who I did not realize listened to the podcast. Hi, Liam. Thanks for listening. Um, who said some really lovely things. He said that listening to us chat about stuff that excites us is like hanging out with friends. And it's really lovely to be able to have that sense of connection during, you know, I haven't seen him in fucking years and it's sad. He says that he loves our muchness. And we bring much joy and company when they listen to our podcasts. So thank you, Liam, for closing that feedback loop. That's really oh, wonderful. Thanks. And I'm really grateful that he did that. It reminded me how important it is to like directly tell people to share your enthusiasms. So I would like to initiate my first enthusiasmment, which is all about tell the people in your life the positive feedback, your positive enthusiasm to them. That is my suggestion yes. for an enthusiasmment. Yes. Also, we need to write them down somewhere because we don't have a list of them. We really no, uh, need that. <laughs> I was just thinking we need a list of the canonical. Uh, I think I think what we need is like a couple of stone tablets or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you make a list, I'll make a graphic. That's as far as I, I don't know about a tablet, but I can make a graphic. No, 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 no. I think you need to dress up as Moses and then you come down with. Uh... <laughs> um. So I don't know about a stone tablet. I, I got some watercolors. I could do a little painting, I guess. <laughs> we absolutely need to do that. But I, I accept that enthusiasm enthusiastically. <laughs> because if there's one thing we need to be enthusiastic about, it's the good people in our lives. Mm -hmm. And they need to be enthusiastic about themselves. We talked about that in a previous moment yeah. of Meta. If we can consistently tell them what we like about them, what they're good at, what they do well, 
how they make our lives better just by existing and by being yeah. who they are. I think that can have so many positive effects. It's completely insane. 100%. Also, if you know us personally and you listen to the podcast, please tell me. I'm curious who actually <laughs> listens to this. I don't know. I don't see the data. Tell me who you are. Tell me. Yes, <laughs> want we want to hear from you. <laughs> Uh, and that is our moment of meta. Thank you, Liam, for inspiring our moment of meta. I miss you, dude. So, Katie, in our last episode on drag, you said you were going to do drag. How'd it go? It was great. I go to the first gig. This is the party where I want life to perform one day, and I want to get in with the Drag Jam crew. There's a ball, and I tie for first place, and I walk away with a crown which I feel very smug about. I have a beautiful crown. Ooh. I had fun. If you would like to see it, it's on my Instagram now. You can go check it out, uh, Katie Cobalt. Uh, you can check out my makeup. I'm very proud of the look. I'm very proud of my look. I think I looked great. Like the costume looked fu- great. I was going to say fucking great. Yeah, it looked fucking great. Yeah, um, there we go. And the makeup was really fun. I had like this really dark, big, black, smoky eye. And then I bought a fake gold leaf. I am not that wealthy. I bought fake gold leaf, which was like three euros. And I, uh, I, I had so much Alex, Alex. I had so much glue on my face. <laughs> and I stuck gold leaf from like the tops of my cheekbones up into my hair. I looked great. Every drag queen I spoke to that night was like, "How did you do your look? Tell me more. Where did you get the gold?" And like. I felt very like, yes, drag queens, ask me questions about my look. It's amazing. I'm so proud. Um, I will say I'm never fucking doing that again. Getting off the gold is basically the reason why I will never do that again. I, I, coconut oil did not get it off. Makeup remover softened it a little bit, but not enough. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I literally sat on the floor of my shower, naked as the day I was born, with my fingers just combing like gum-like clumps of glue and gold out of my hair for about 20 minutes. And that is how my very glamorous night ended, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a fantastic evening, and I will be performing again on the 18th. I still don't have a drag name. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So again, any listeners, what should Katie's (laughs) drag name be? Something with blue. (laughs) I think so. I think I think we got to keep the color. But it sounds like you did really well for your first attempt. I think that's fantastic. Just having the bravery to do it, I admire that. Thank you. Alex, if people enjoyed this episode, which one should they listen to next? I think the one on Hallelujah, uh, the world's prettiest song, would be perfect because that's basically a poem as well. That's true. Uh, written by another amazing, amazing person uh, who created great poetry. Mm-hmm. I think they should also go check out the Niels Bohr episode. We mentioned him briefly in this podcast. If you don't know who he is, he's a fascinating person and less problematic. So he's a really nice guy. (laughs) So if you want to learn about a different Danish scientist who's a much nicer person, I recommend the Niels Bohr episode. He was fantastic. Dear listener, we really hope you enjoyed sharing some of our enthusiasms in this episode. Please visit our website, electricenthusiasm.com, or find us on Instagram, at electricenthusiasm, to discover more episodes or leave a comment. And now, dear listener, if you're wondering if you should go off and be earnest or be silly, I implore you, why not both?